Welcome to the Coog Center Podcast, and here's your host. Really? Oh, so that's how you're going to play it. You're going to do this? Okay, fine. That's all I needed. That's all I needed for him to do that, and it, it became personal with me. Second and seven, Delora staring down the pressure right in the hands of Langford. Langford making a house call in Tucson. Back-to-back interceptions for the Washington State defense. Puts them up 30-6. to Michael Preston. Okay, fine. I gave in a little bit to the It's Personal stuff. I did. Our thanks to the Pac-12 Network for that sound in the intro. I think I, I said it in a lot of places last week, and maybe on the show, too. I can't quite recall, and I didn't want to go back and listen to myself blabber. I'm glad all of you do listen to me blabber. Um, but that game was either going to be Jaden Delora thrown for enough yards to get to the moon, or he was going to throw a lot of interceptions. Such is the case that sometimes we nail it on this show. I think I said 34-21, too. That's pretty darn close. I am Michael Preston uh, here on the Kook Center Hour. Christian Capel of The Athletic. He covers the Washington Huskies. We're always so happy to have him here on Apple Cup Week. An Apple Cup Week with a game on Saturday. God forbid. First time in a long time that's happened. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about Kook basketball uh, as well. A nice win over Eastern on Monday and end with our Dunderhead of the Week. And ask Michael anything. 20 for 35, 225 yards, no touchdowns, and three interceptions. That is Jaden Delora's stat line through three quarters on Saturday. He would throw for 132 yards in that final quarter, in the fourth quarter. Um, I'm not going to include that because it's very clear that was garbage time, and I'm pretty sure... I wasn't paying that close of attention. We had friends over and they had a very cute baby um, over. So we were paying attention to the very cute baby near the end of that game when it was well in hand. Um, So it seemed like the defense was rotating in a lot of guys who ordinarily wouldn't play. So we'll just forget about that quarter. Um, But I don't think you could have asked much more um, from that defense on Saturday. Arizona has probably one of the two or three best offenses in the conference. And they effectively limited them to six points in three quarters. And that is just, frankly, a really outstanding output. And it continues to baffle my mind on a weekly basis because we are just not used to a football team structured like this. We are not used to a football team who is getting it done defensively who is winning games with defense and not winning games by hucking the ball all over the yard. It's 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 still I find myself having a really hard time trusting it on a week to week basis. And maybe I need to open my heart a little bit more. This is a very difficult week to open your heart a little bit more. Um but maybe you need to open your heart a little bit more and just kind of trust this defense because the Washington offense that's coming into Pullman on Saturday is up there in terms of its quality um, with Arizona's. If it's not better than Arizona's in this conference, it's, you know, again, one of the top three in the conference. And this is another game 
that is strength on strength, weakness on weakness. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But it really just kind of seemed like everything came together in this game. I thought Ron Stone had his best game in weeks, even though he didn't show up in the stat sheet too much. He had that sack of Jaden Delore that should have been a sack and never got reviewed. Um, the interior lineman did a great job not giving Delora wide openings up front to run the ball if he needed to. Jackson, Edson, uh, Roth, everybody on the edges did a good job keeping Jaden Delora contained and forcing him to throw the football. We know this opposing quarterback better than most opposing quarterbacks will ever know. And so, although Jaden Delora is a good passer, he will take off with his feet every once in a while. And then the coverage by the secondary was ex- as exceptional as it's been all year. And this is frankly a group against which you were really worried because this is, again, one of the better receiving cores in the conference. And Sam Lockett has two picks. Uh, Derek Langford runs back a pick for a touchdown. Shaw Smith-Wade looked pretty good all day. I think just the one kind of boneheaded play gave up a big pass. But other than that, looked very good all day. Jaden Hicks, again, looks like a blossoming star um, at safety. Dayan Henley was himself. Francisco Maui Goa was himself. Travion Brown was himself. Armani Marsh looked good again. Just a really good, complete, thorough defensive performance against a very good offense that gives you a lot of confidence and hope going into this weekend. And I, I, I like wretch every time I say confidence and hope and this football game. I really hate this. Fo- I, like, I don't know why, guys. Maybe I'm like a fatalist, but I just I can't stand this football game. I don't know what it is about me. Okay, let's t- let's keep talking about this last one. So, a great performance from a defense. And, I, I, you know, again, I think you saw Jaden Delora get into it pretty early with one of his receivers on the sideline. I think it was Singer, was it, that he got into it with on the sideline. It was very clear that this defense was frustrating that offense from the outset. And everything they were able to do... I mean, Arizona had a very difficult time moving the football. You know, um, I love drive charts. Like I love drive charts kind of as a, as an indicator of how well a team played. So let's take a look at Arizona's drive chart. Punt, downs, downs, field goal, field goal, punt, punt, interception, 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 three straight drives, ending in an interception, touchdown, interception, and a touchdown to close things out. But again, those two touchdowns, I think, you know, we got a drive start with 13-22 left in the fourth. Um, when I think at that point, the score was 31-6. to So the game was already pretty pretty well in hand. Um, I Again, I continue to be amazed by how well this defense is playing. And again, maybe I just need to kind of, you know, trust my heart a little bit and let them come in and to be okay with the fact that this is a defense that is in the top 20 nationwide when you look at S&P Plus numbers. It's frankly incredible how good this defense is, and you can you know obviously credit Dan Henley um, a lot for coming in and filling a big gap back there, but a lot of these guys have been on the team a long time. And Nusi Milani up front has been a revelation in his transfer from Virginia. Brennan Jackson's been excellent this year. Travion Brown and Francisco Mauigo have gotten better as the year have gone on. Shaw Smith-Wade, Derek Langford... Both look great all year. Credit to Sam Lockett. He's been in the doghouse a lot this year with the fan base, but he had a really great game in Tucson. An all-around, really excellent defensive performance. 
And the offense looked good in the first half. More tackles for a loss than I might like. But again, this is a pretty patchwork offensive line at this point. And the fact that they are holding it together much at all is frankly a miracle. And the offense does enough in the first half to put the game out of reach for anyone playing this defense. And, but it still is a concerning point. Now, granted, I, you know, Jeff kind of highlighted this on podcast versus everyone. And I'm inclined to agree here. You're 11 games into a 12 game regular season. The offense is what it's going to be at this point. Like, like, you know, exactly what these teams are at this point in the season. It's kind of like betting on the Super Bowl. That's why it's so dialed in. And and like every year I have such a hard choice because it's like, I can see it. Like, I, I just don't know. Right? Like, Vegas has it so dialed in. Same thing here. Washington, uh, I think it was opened a two-point favorite. That's about right. And so I, I I really don't know based on that, right? And I, I, I'm recording this now and I still probably haven't made up my mind on a prediction. But you saw this defense do exactly what it needed to do against Arizona. And yeah, the offense in the second half, again, still disappointing. I'm not in love with it. I'm not in love with Jake Dickert's decision to attempt a field goal on that, we'll call it penultimate drive because it. I'm not going to include the, the kneel downs. I, I don't love that. That was like the third thing I wanted him to do there. Either go for it on a fourth and I think it lets, I'm going to scroll down here, but the options were either to punt the ball there or to go for it. And I wasn't, totally thrilled with either it was fourth and four from the Arizona 36 I mean again the field goal there that's a 53 yard attempt for Janikowski he's got good accuracy I don't know that his leg is the biggest so I don't love kicking the field goal there I think I would rather you punt it and just try to you know, even if you only pick up 16 yards of field position or field position, then fine. Um, if you go for it and don't make it, I can live with that too. But if you go for it and make it, well, that's just draining more time off the clock. And they did an okay job of that in the second half. And I'm kind of wondering if that's just kind of the MO, you know, of this offense in the second half. That, you know, we're going to get up by enough in the first half, hopefully, and then drain clock. I don't think it's particularly sustainable, as a model moving forward, you're certainly not going to have a defense this good every year. But that kind of seems to be the direction they've pointed this, this football team. And you, of course, have coming into Pullman a very, very good offense passing-wise. And a defense that I, I described it in our interview with Christian kind of as like Goldilocks. Not good. Not bad. Just, you know... They're fine. Nothing wrong. I you know, you know, passing defense could be better. No more pressure on the quarterback. But, you know, not bad, not good. Just yeah. Which is not what we're used to with the Washington Huskies team. And Kalen DeBoer gets an extension, so he gets a raise, and Washington gets a bigger buyout, even though it's not really enough to keep him from going anywhere. Um, just because Dennis Dodd reported that Nebraska might be sniffing around, so I guess that worked out for Kalen DeBoer's agent, so good for him. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, this is again, another game where it is strength on strength and weakness 
on weakness. I think the Washington State offense is certainly not as good as the Washington defense, while you have a Washington State defense that is as good as Washington's offense. It's probably the best defense they're going to have seen all year because Washington did play a pretty soft schedule, as it turns out. Michigan State, that marquee early season win doesn't look as good now. Michigan State, not a very good football team. They didn't have to play USC. They got to play Colorado. So, not as tough a schedule. Like, I, I looked... I, It's absurd at this point. The CFP rankings that came out on Tuesday, uh, Washington State has four losses. All of them are to a ranked team. All of them. Three of that, or two of them are in the top 15. Or I think three of them. I think Utah is 15 or, well, 15 or 16, whatever. Top 16 then. That is absurd how difficult this schedule is. And that they are 7-4 and four at this point is impressive. But you've heard me talk about it here before. We've all talked about it. That this was that part of the schedule where if you tripped up at some other point in the year, this is where you're going to make your hay. And they have done it so far. 3-0 in the month of November. And now you get this on your plate. A top 15 Washington team who has a shot at the Pac-12 title game. They'll, they'll know by kickoff whether a win will get them there or not. It's, it's so like convoluted, but if Oregon beats Oregon State, it's just, it's over. Oregon goes, but if Oregon State wins... And then it's like, if Cal beats UCLA, Washington gets in with a win. But if UCLA wins, they can still get in. But Utah would have to lose to Colorado. And that's also not going to happen. Because then Utah would know, if Utah would know if we beat Colorado, we get in. So, or, or something like that. It's like some weird combination of stuff. And I don't really want to follow it because it makes my brain hurt. And also because Wazoo doesn't have a chance at the title game. So I don't really care that much. So... You'll find out earlier in the day how much motivation Washington has to kind of quote-unquote play great. You'll find out how much Washington State can take away from them in this game. And I'm interested to see kind of... The, the, there might be a difference in what Husky team you get depending on the circumstances. I'm confident in this pass defense, and I can't believe I'm saying that... After so many years of watching Washington State football. I'm confident in this pass defense to do their job against a pretty potent air attack. I mean, Michael Penix Jr. leads the country in passing yards this year. And I don't think you... You know, obviously they still have a, a decent run game. So you can't just sell out to defend the pass. But they're going to want to put the game in Michael Penix's hands. So can this pass defense hold up against... The best passing attack they've seen since Oregon was in town. And if you remember the time, I talked about that Oregon game where I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop in that one. It was what? It was like 28-15 to 15 at the end of the third quarter. But I, I really always kind of was just waiting for it to happen. Because Oregon's yards per play were absurd. It was absurd. It was over like 9 yards per play. And they only had 15 points. And it was because every drive they had just stalled out in the red zone because they tried to attack laterally and Washington State's quick enough laterally that you couldn't do that. And then they finally figured out that, hey, scoring for more than 10 yards out is better. That is the key to this football game. How well 
does Wazoo take away the passing attack from Washington? Because the successful teams against Washington have done that. You have to at least partially neuter Michael Penix's ability to work downfield and to get those big plays. And Washington State does a good job limiting big plays. You've got to take that ability away. Because if they have to rely on the run, and you'll hear Christian say this, this is not when they have Miles Gaskin. They don't have one of those great stable of running backs that Washington has had. Lewis Rankin, another that's a bit of a throwback for you there. Bishop Sankey. Okay? They don't have one of those running backs anymore. So can Washington say take the pass game away? Or can they at least force Washington into passing downs and rely on the fact that they are going to throw the football? Can they get pressure on Michael Penix? That has not been something that's been done a lot this year, but Washington State, if anybody has it, they have the defensive line to do it. Does Brian Ward blitz more? And then importantly, also on the other side of the football, does this offense do damage in the final 30 minutes? Because... It's, we're at the point now where in the last three games, it's something like 13 points in the second half combined. They aren't even averaging a touchdown in the second half of the last three games. And I look, they're winning. So how much am I re- do I really want to nitpick that? But it's at least concerning. Because if you find yourself in a position where unlike the last three games where you're just able to jump out to a huge lead and hold on for dear life, then what do you do? Because like th- this is not that game. Washington's good enough that you're just not going to be able to jump out to this massive lead and again, hold on for dear life. I, oh God, I'm getting... It's, it is Tuesday afternoon and I have an ulcer already. Oh, why do I care about sports? Oh my gosh. I just like rambled on for like seven minutes. They're just like wondering aloud about all of these things. <sighs> okay. I'm going to take a moment, gather myself, maybe go open a beer. Water would probably be better. But after we come back, we'll talk to Christian Capel from The Athletic. He covers the Washington Huskies. He's been a long running friend of the program. Always love his interviews, super in depth. So we'll hear more from Christian on the Huskies after the quick break. Back here on the Coug Center Hour, our annual visit with Christian Capel from The Athletic. He covers the University of Washington football team. And Christian, I was thinking about this tonight. I think you and I go back like 15 years to when we were both relative babies. You at the Daily and you at KUGR to the... 2007 Apple Cup. Does that I think that sounds about right to you, or am I getting too old that my memory is finally also fading away slowly? No, that does sound right. I think um, if am I remembering right? You worked at like the Mariners Team Store with my buddy Max. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I yep. think that was the, that mutual acquaintance back then. Yeah, that was a horrible job, by the way. I would never work for the Seattle Mariners Team Store again. Although I think they're all closed now, so that kind of takes care of the problem. There you go. Um. I think it's probably safe to say about the Washington Huskies that some expectations were exceeded this year. 
Uh, 9-2 coming into this game. Number 17, if my memory is serving right, in the AP poll as we record this uh, before the college football playoff rankings come out on Tuesday. Um, but in Kalen DeBoer's first year, it really seems like things are going better than just about anybody could have hoped for, Christian. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anybody, you know, from the coaching staff to the fan base felt like Kalen DeBoer was inheriting a 4-8 and eight program. You know, yeah. they, he was inheriting a team that went 4-8 and eight last year. But I think you looked across the board and, you know, defensively, I, obviously they, they're not, uh, they don't have the talent level they've had in the past. But at least offensively, I think everyone knew Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan were really talented receivers who mm-hmm. thrive in the right system. Um, you know, with them hiring somebody with Kalen DeBoer's offensive background and a relative track record of success, I think there was a thought that they could have a, a pretty quick turnaround on that side of the ball. In retrospect, I don't think any of us probably hyped the uh, addition of Michael Penix Jr. enough at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think logically most people knew when he transferred, okay, that that's your starting quarterback in 2022. But there was even still some thought that, like, well, he's going to compete for the job. You know, Sam Heward was a five-star guy. You know, maybe this is his time to, to take a step forward. You know, I think the, the thought did exist like, which again, it's, it's silly in retrospect, but yeah. you know, is, is Michael Penix definitely going to win the job? Um, he did that and, and has been, you know, he's having statistically one of the best seasons in school history. So I think the, the addition of a guy who knew the head coach, a quarterback, a veteran quarterback who knew the head coach who had power five experience, mm-hmm. who are the offense, um, you know, coming in and, and playing with a, a group of pretty talented receivers and, you know, a, a, an experienced offensive line that I think, was kind of in that same boat of okay, were were they really that bad as they played last year, or are they capable of playing you know much better? Are they are they much more talented than what they showed? And a, a new staff and a new scheme will will bring that out. And I think that was kind of everybody's hope, but mm-hmm. until you see it happen on the field, uh, especially in in light of what they did last year on that side of the ball, averaging twenty one and a half points a game and just being totally stagnant, not really looking like they had much of a plan. Um, you know, they were, they were a bit of a mystery. I think people would have been shocked if they hadn't, you know, made a bowl game yeah. or one, you know, been kind of in that seven to eight win range. But I think seven to eight wins was sort of what you could circle is like, all right, that would be like an acceptable enough year one. That would be a three or four game improvement. They'd be going to a bowl game. They're going to have to, you know, move the ball a lot better to get to that point. So, um, you know, obviously for them to come out and and kind of blow Michigan state away the way they did that reset expectations. I think from week three on people did start thinking, okay, you know, maybe this is a conference championship contender Um, came back down to earth a little bit. And then people sort of realized like they don't have the defense for this to be like a really special season, but Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're, they're nine and two and and they're looking at the possibility of a, of a 10 and, you know, maybe 11 win season if things break. Right. So um, I think people, Definitely expected a, a swift turnaround, at least relative to last season, and, and knew that they had the talent to make that happen. But yeah, I don't know that anybody would have reasonably forecast nine and two at this point. I want to tuck in a little bit more to Kalen DeBoer because he was actually a guy when you know when Washington State last year was kind of trying to decide what to do with their not quite a head coaching vacancy, but what to do with a permanent job. That was kind of a guy I would have really loved Pat Chun to go after. Jen Cohen does go after Kalen DeBoer, gets him. Obviously, big differences between his staff and the last staff. But for you, it, what is like the biggest difference being there on a day-to-day basis like you are? Is it just how they coach these guys, their attitudes? What's the biggest difference between 
this staff and Jimmy Lake's crew um, that was there for a couple of years? I think it's, well, it's, it's a couple things. I mean, you start with like the vision and the plan for what they, for how they want to attack each practice and each day and what they want to do schematically. I mean, I remember I sat down with Ryan Grubb, their offensive coordinator, you know, back before spring practice. I think that was in March. And I was kind of struck by how just direct he was about this is, this is what we try to do offensively. You know, I watched the tape and these are our best players Mm -hmm. and this is who we're going to get the ball to. And, you know, the, it pointed right to Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan and Jalen Polk is like, okay, these guys are going to be like the centerpiece of the offense. And the way that they, the way that they talk about how they want to approach the game schematically, not just the, the, the directness, but kind of the openness. Like you can tell that they have a lot of confidence in it and they've seen it work at multiple stops and they're not really paranoid about that sort of stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then also, yeah, I think it's, just kind of around the building and the way that they interact with players. It's, it's more Chris Peterson than Jimmy Lake. Um, I think it's, it's more about, you know, a family atmosphere and um, development of the whole person. And, you know, guys who, who I think even guys who like Jimmy Lake, you know, who didn't, didn't necessarily think that he was this terrible coach who deserved to be fired would tell you that it, it was still a very stark change culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimmy Lake wanted to run an NFL style organization. Everything was very competitive. It was about pro development. It was about football. It was about X's and O's. Um, you know, Alex Cook, their sixth year senior safety, I think talked about kind of how cutthroat all of the positional battles were. And it was sort of every man for himself that way. And I think some guys work well under those conditions, but if you were, if you played for Chris Peterson or if you were recruited by Chris Peterson and were expecting a certain thing, that wasn't it. Yeah. Um, that's why I think Kalen DeBoer is, is cut a little bit more from that mold. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it's a more, it's a more positive approach. Um, you know, maybe more of a, I, I think from, from day one, the coaches sat down with like their leaders or their unity council or, or whatever, whatever they call it and asked for feedback and asked, you know, hey, what kind of what kind of program do you want to be a part of? You know, what works for you? What doesn't work for you? What do you respond to? What do you think your team your teammates will respond to? Mm-hmm. And I think that struck the the leaders and the, the veterans from day one that you know, I, I don't think you know there, there was a leadership council under Jimmy Lake, but I don't know that the the dialogue was that open or or that the kind of the the foundational things were were that fluid or or that flexible. So I think they. They saw the coaching staff's willingness to, to kind of listen to players and, and they want, you know, Kalen DeBoer talks about the program needing to be player run and, and all those sort of things. Very similar to Jake Dickert that way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, with Dickert, it's what it's player led, not player run. I think that's the way he phrases it. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I think from day one, they just kind of have done everything they said they were going to do. You know, like with the quarterback competition, they, they brought in their guy, so to speak, a, a fifth-year transfer, but said, hey, he's going to compete for the job and the refs are going to be equal through through summer, you know, PRPs and through spring and through fall camp, and they were. Um, and, and so, you know, I think they, they were very direct and very honest with guys from the start, and that resonated. And, you know, I think there's just kind of a, a tone of, of positivity and respect when, when they interact with the team. And then, you know, schematically, they've – They've got a very clear vision and a clear plan. And mm-hmm. 
you know, they were able to re-recruit Romo Dunze and, and McMillan and Polk, for example, by kind of pulling up their, their tape from Fresno State and just saying, hey, you know, here's the offense. It's the same head coach, same same offensive coordinator. This is this is what you're going to run, and, you know, does, does this look good to you? And Jimmy Lake didn't really have that kind of track record on that side of the ball, so um, I think that got a lot of guys' attention from day one. You mentioned Odunze and Polk and uh, McMillan, and those are guys that Wazi fans should be plenty familiar with at this point, right? Michael Penix Jr., uh, they're not going to be familiar with. I'm sure, you know, a few have watched some games. But for me, what is kind of, it's almost a revelation here. Because if you watched Michael Penix at Indiana, I'm, I, you know, I know Kalen DeBoer was there with him for a bit. But this does not look like Michael Penix from Indiana. And this is, get, you know, I, I, I tie it back to Wazoo stuff because this is a Wazoo podcast after all. But it gives me that... Gardner Minshew vibes of it's just like all of a sudden someone just got into the exact right spot they needed to be to flourish would that kind of be fair to say for him yeah I think there's some strong comparisons to to be made to Gardner Minshew in that you know this is far and away the best season of Michael Penix Jr.'s career Um, now he might say well if, if I got to play a full season before, you know, maybe the numbers would have looked a little different. That's the other thing, right? I mean, that, yeah. that's the big, that that's the big, uh, the big asterisk when they got him. And I mentioned that, you know, maybe there wasn't as much buzz around him when he transferred in as there should have been. And the reason was his injury history. He had ended every one, every college season, uh, even the one he redshirted back in 2018 with a season ending injury, two torn ACLs and injuries to both shoulders. So, and, and, you know, he, even in the games he played last year, Indiana had had totally um, nosedived from some you know two really good seasons in 2019 and 2020 compared to their history, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I think they went one in, I think they went two and ten and maybe winless or one win in conference play and they scored like nine or ten touchdowns the whole conference season and it was just a just a bad deal and time for him to move on. Uh, I've been a little surprised by the arm strength. You know I don't know that I. I necessarily thought of him as a as a guy who could who could spin it the way that he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody's talking about obviously the the whole shot throw to tie the game against Oregon with 62 yard of Taj Davis, which will kind of go down in in Washington Oregon rivalry history. But you know, he throws some out routes from the far hash that are just like, whoa, okay. I don't know how many guys you know playing right now today and on this particular Saturday could make that throw. And I don't know that that's something that. I would have expected he could do based on his, his Indiana highlights. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it was there and I just, I just didn't study it close enough, but you know, he's, he's very poised. He's very calm. I think from day one, you know, you, you knew that, that they were going to at least get that from him. You know, that he, he approaches the game like a veteran. He doesn't make it. He doesn't, doesn't try to force the ball a ton when stuff's not there. Although he did have a, a bad pick six against Oregon state and a couple interceptions against UCLA and obviously a, you know, a really critical, what could have been a game changing interception against Oregon. So you know, there's been a, just a, just a handful of, of decisions that he would have liked back, but for the most part, you know, he's not trying to make too much happen. Um, they protected him really well. You know, that's one thing to kind of watch this week. I and mean, Washington state's got mm-hmm. a lot better pass rush than pretty much every team they've played. So, you know, if they can, if they can beat the tackles and, and collapse the pocket a little bit, He's shown some mobility. Um, he's he's not a runner. He, he wants to throw first, second, and third. 
Um, but I, I think he probably has a little bit more escapability than what he's had to show this year, just because he hasn't been pressured that much. So um, that'll that'll be kind of interesting to watch this week. But yeah, I mean, he's just kind of been a, a a steady figure for them. You know, good at shifting protections, and they do a lot of uh, a lot of look at me stuff um, before plays to check you know check with the sideline and see if there's a new call from upstairs from Ryan Grubb based on the formation. And mm-hmm. he's good at getting guys shifted around in the right positions and you know, all the stuff that you would expect from a fifth year player. But um, the arm talent has, has been pretty impressive to watch. And of course it helps that he's, he's thrown to a group of pretty talented receivers. Yeah. To say the least uh, on that's probably the most talented group of receivers I've seen since I would, I would probably wager to say their college football playoff season, at least in, in my view. Um, let's flip it to the other side of the football here. And I think, you know, Christian, like I, I'm used to obviously dominating Washington defenses. That was the way it was under Chris Peterson with Jimmy Lake um, there. Washington's defense is not, I, I kind of think of them as Goldilocks. It's not bad. It's not good either. It's just like, it's just right. It's just like the porridge is like, it's fine, right? Like number 52 in SP plus, that's like fine. It's not Washington State's defense, which is 18th in the country, probably the best in the conference overall. So it's really, you know, this is, the script being flipped like this is at least somewhat surprising to me. What is Washington's biggest weak spot? Because I feel like we we don't always get to talk about what is the defense at Washington's biggest weak spot, but they at least seem to have a couple this year. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely the secondary, um, which is strange to say, right? Yeah, based yeah. On, again, another another weird thing to say about the Huskies, yeah. Based on recent history, yeah. You, I mean... I've kind of been saying this since since the spring, like you lose Kyler Gordon and Trent McDuffie to the NFL, a first round pick and a second round pick. And that's nothing new for them, right? They've, they've sent a lot of corners and safeties to the league and to the draft, but they usually reload. They've got another four-star guy or or a, an overlooked three-star guy who's, you know, they, they're really impressed with and really like, who's gotten a little bit of action as a freshman or sophomore. Now he's ready to step in. Um, and that just, that just wasn't the case with this team. They just didn't have the guys at that level. Like as soon as the new staff got to Seattle, they, they went out and, and, you know, they basically immediately said, Hey, they got to go get a corner in the transfer portal. So they go get Jordan Perryman. who's a six year guy from UC Davis. He was first team all big guy a couple times, I think. And, you know, but he's got good size and he's, he's pretty tough and pretty physical. And I thought looked really good. Um, in fall camp, you know, he was, he, there, there were, there were plenty of really, you know, good battles between him and Romo Dunze. Um, and I thought, okay, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a, a pretty good upgrade for them to go get that guy. And then he gets hurt in their first game and comes back three or four games later. Um, and I think he's just kind of been banged up and is playing, playing through injury. You know, one of a, a handful of guys that got playing hurt and I think just hasn't really been the same guy that we saw in August. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Mishael Powell is their other starting cornerback. He's a former walk-on in the same class in 2019 as, as Trent McDuffie. Um, <clears throat> guy the coaches really like, works really hard, leader type of guy, earned a scholarship, all that. And, I, you know, I think has made some plays for them. And, and he was out injured for a while. And when he came back, it was obvious that they were missing something from him. Um, but you're not talking about Kyler Gordon and Trent McDuffie, right? Yeah. So there's been some drop-off there. Um, they're, they've been banged up otherwise here and there. They've had to play some freshmen, some redshirt freshmen. Um, and then just to start with, even when everybody's healthy, there's really nobody in that secondary who didn't come into this season needing to prove something. 
you know, uh, Alex Cook maybe is the exception. I think people kind of knew what he was. He he started for them last year. He's a, he's a captain, and you know, they, one of the guys that they depend on to communicate all the calls and all those sort of things. And and they were pretty high on Asa Turner at safety too. But you know, he's had some tackling issues throughout his career. I think that showed up against Oregon, and so the, the talent level just isn't what it was in the secondary. And then you know, I think the front the front six or front seven has been solid at times. They haven't been bad against the run, but Oregon ran for 312 yards on them, I think. So mm-hmm. you know, there have been times when they've been pushed around a little bit. Um, but I, I I think the the narrative all season on their defense has been if you're playing against a team that wants to rely on the running game, that's what you want if you're Washington. If you're playing against a team that wants to throw the ball 40 times a game, that's like, look out. And if you're playing mm-hmm. against a team that's that's pretty balanced – there hasn't been a lot of hope that, that they can get off the field at time. Yeah. This game opened about minus two and a half, I think was the opening line uh, for Washington, which actually that seemed about right to me. You're going, you know, Washington State's seven and four on the year. The game's in Pullman. Washington's in the top 25. So that, that seems about right if you, you know, if you think this game is just normal, but it's going to kick off at 7.30 at night. It might snow. It looks like a typical... Apple Cup, where it's like, yeah, do we really know? We think so, probably, but who knows? So, Christian, do you know who's going to win the football game? I say as I preface that question with everything I just said of who really knows, but I bet you Christian Cable does. Uh, I mean, I I know as much as you do, man. I, <laughs> I, picked, I think I, I recorded, uh, I do a podcast with Danny O'Neill. We recorded our podcast today. I, I picked Washington to cover the... We added it two at the time I checked, and okay. I picked him to cover the two. I think with everything at stake for them, and you know, as locked in as they've been in, in big games this year, I think they've gotten better as the season's gone along on both sides of the ball. Um, it, you know, I have a, I just have a hard time seeing them taking care of business at Autzen and, and not coming in, you know, prepared in, in a similar way for the Apple Cup. But mm-hmm. in Washington State's got a lot better defense, you know, I. If, if Washington's scoring in the in the mid-30s in this game, I think they probably like their chances, but they're going to have to run the ball well to do that, I think. You know, you combine the the weather with uh, with Washington State's pass rush and, you know, how, how effective they've been. I thought they did a really good job against Arizona and Jaden Delora last week. Um, gave up some numbers at, at the end there that, that maybe aren't reflective of, of just how tough they were for him to, to throw against. Um you know, I, I think I think you're gonna have to. You know, Washington's gonna have to run the ball to, to win the game. Mm-hmm. I think they've probably done that a little better than what you might assume based on how often they've thrown it. Like I was l- looking at it after the Colorado game, their top two running backs, Wayne Talapapa and Cam Davis, and they've combined for over 1,100 yards and, and over five yards of carry and like 22 touchdowns this year. So they don't have a clear number one. You know, they don't have a Miles Gaskin, who if it snows, you're just going to turn and give it to him 25 times and kind of kind of let him take you to victory. Um, but they've they've done a pretty good job of mixing in their run game and, and being efficient with it and using it to get across the goal line as well. So, um, you know, I, I still think that they can get some stuff done throwing the ball. It's funny uh, against Oregon State, there was it was it didn't end up being the rainstorm that everybody thought it would at Husky Stadium, but it was very very windy. Mm-hmm. I think that affected the Beavers quite a quite a bit, um, but you know Ryan Grubb, the Washington's offensive coordinator, was kind of talking going into that game like, yeah, like well Michael Penix has like huge hands and you know can can control the ball well and all these things. So I don't know, maybe that's 
maybe that's a factor. Maybe it's not. But um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think they've got enough at stake, and um, they've improved defensively. They're facing a Wazoo offense that has been pretty inconsistent, and mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to be interested because, like, I think Nakia Watson is really good, um, and like I it seemed like coming into this season, they wanted to be an air raid offense that ran the ball more. Right. Like that was kind of the, that was kind of the vibe. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think they have compared to the last decade, but I'm pretty sure they're still like last in the conference in rushing attempts. So it'll be interesting either at least last or, or, or near the bottom. Um, they're 11th or 12th. Yeah. I can't remember which it is. They kind of use the the screen game as their running game basically, which is always going to be a tenant of the air raid. Now I'm going to be interested. Does Wazoo still, try to throw the ball a ton if it's bad weather or, you know, knowing that they've got a, a good running back. And I think a decent number two also, do they maybe try to ride that a little more? Um, so that's going to be kind of, it'll be an interesting chess match. I think Washington's pass rush matches up pretty well with, with Wazoo's O-line. I know they've had some struggles there. So um, it's going to be, going to be interesting to see how well Wazoo moves it. And, you know, is this a, uh, is is this Washington offense efficient, creative, and, and physical enough to to move it against a defense that is probably better than any they've seen this year, with the exception of maybe Oregon State? Yeah, Christian Capel from the Athletic covers the University of Washington. We love having him on every year because, uh, by the way, he also covered the Cougs for a very long time at the Moscow Pullman Daily News and the Spokesman, if I'm remembering both of those right. I'm trying to remember a lot of things with you tonight, and it is really straining every brain cell I have right now. <laughs> Hey, that's I've noticed that man. When you got a, you got a kid in that like oh zero yeah to two to three range, I swear there's some like I used to be able to recall this stuff like instantly, and I just there's not enough space in the brain anymore. So I, I get it. I used to remember Wazoo's entire starting O line from 2013. Now it's probably good that that got pushed out of my brain, but that's that's an entirely separate <laughs> discussion. And Christian, thank you very much, sir. All right, thank you. Back here on the Coog Center Hour, our thanks again to Mr. Capel for uh, stopping by for 23 superb minutes. He always gives us more time uh, than we deserve on this show, so thank you again uh, to Mr. Capel. Um, two really good, or, you know, I mean, one really good basketball team, the women's basketball team, continuing to rip it up uh, on the court. Their lone loss on the year to a pretty decent Brigham Young team, but Charlie Sledger Walker averaging 22 points a game. I've yet to watch a women's game. That's on me, guys. I need to do that. Um, because obviously this is a team that Cami Etheridge has primed to get to the NCAA tournament for its fair. Two in a row was unprecedented enough. Three in a row would be an unprecedented run of NCAA tournaments for this team. And I'm just like, I'm begging, hoping, pleading they get over that hump um, of winning a game this year. That would be absolutely fabulous and superb. Um, And it looks like they got the crew that, um, can get them there through five games. Um, you also saw on the men's side a bounce back win over the Eastern Washington Eagles for the men um, after a pretty bad few days. Um, to lo- losing to Boise State was one thing. Losing to Prairie View and A&M, a team that was in the Ken Pomeroy, I think they were like in the 310s out of 330 Division One teams. That's pretty bad. And just looking uninterested, and I like I know DJ and um, and Yaki were out, uh, but that's still not very good. And it had you worried, right, about what this team was going to be. And then they go out and they just beat the brakes off of Eastern Washington again. 
not a great team, but after after that loss, you gotta like, yeah, like look, I'm gonna take any amount of beating up on anybody um that I can get. Mullins with 24 points, eight of eleven shooting from three. Muhammad Gay uh, was one of one from three-point range. Good for him. Uh, had 17 points um, as well. Just an all-around good effort. 20 assists on 31 made field goals. A much better ratio um, than you saw against Prairie View A&M. And it really does feel like until, you know, Rodman played 21 minutes in that game, so he's over his sickness. Until Yakimovsky's back, you know, and not dealing with his turf toe issue anymore, I don't know that you're really going to find this team's rotation. I don't know that we're really going to know what this team looks like until he's back. This is certainly a team that um, is struggling without Miles Rice and Deshaun Jackson, who are out indefinitely um, as Miles Rice deals with his battle with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and Deshaun Jackson has his own medical issue. Um, So they they are going to have to figure out who they are a little bit more than I think we expected. It still doesn't like totally excuse losing to Prairie View A and M, um, but it's not at all surprising. And if you're going to do that, um, a good thing to do is to come back and absolutely wax somebody by 26 points and never really have the game be in reach um, of that team at any point. So they went out and did that in Spokane on Monday. They'll play Detroit Mercy uh, Friday afternoon in Pullman. So if you're there early for the Apple Cup, make sure you head over to Beasley Coliseum for that game. Um, but it, it just, it still feels like a team and we'll talk about them more in the next few weeks as football season, um, winds down here. But again, it just kind of feels like a team that's still trying to figure itself out a little bit. And I think that's, that's probably okay. And maybe our expectations of an NCAA tournament were a bit premature. Um, given that this team is really loaded with freshmen and transfers, um, because they have to be and, and that's okay. That's, that's, that's NCAA basketball um, in the modern age. It's just that's that's how it's typically going to be. Um, I do want to make one note. Uh, I think it is wonderful that the Pac-12 Conference has, you know, this legacy series with SWAC schools. It's great. I think it is a great way to highlight uh, HBCU institutions and all that other stuff. And I swear there's no yeah but coming up. Um, it, it is it is a genuinely good thing the Pac-12 is doing. and I And I applaud them for it. Um, but if you're going to do this, this actually goes back to the series with Idaho being canceled. If you're going to do this, you need to let teams play that kind of game. Because look, I understand when you say, hey, don't play Idaho in Moscow because if you lose, that looks really bad for all of us. Right? Well... Colorado and ASU also lost their games in this SWAC Legacy Series. So if you're going to play this, which has value to these student-athletes and to these institutions in the SWAC, absolutely has value. You still need to allow Washington State to play Idaho. And maybe, okay, fine, like the series is over. I think it's like next year or the year after. If If we get back to playing Idaho after that, then fine by me. But you can't sit here and say Washington State can't go do that, or or whoever else goes and plays these other schools. I'm I'm you know I'm I'm accepting here that this is a pretty unique situation to Wazoo. Um, you you can't say they can't go play those teams if you're going to let them go away to teams that are sitting in the Kempom 300 and have the chance to lose. Okay, you you that's it's a double standard. Wonderful program, love it, 
Let us play Idaho, please. That's all I got for you. Uh, how about a fight song? How about a Dunderhead of the Week and Ask Michael Anything? style like radio correction because I went back to try to look for an edit and it, it, it's gonna be hard for me to edit it without having to redo the whole thing so I don't feel like doing it Miles Rice has Hodgkin's lymphoma not non-Hodgkin's lymphoma so we hope everything's going well um, for him I know he looked like a great hype man on the bench in Spokane uh, on Monday so best of luck again to him uh, Dunder head of the week um, you know you'd think in my adult life I'm gonna be the Dunder head of the week this week um, that I would have figured out, like, I used to really pride myself on, like, figuring out strategies to avoid crowds and, and how to best, like, get around dealing with all the crap people complained about, like, you know, like, their day-to-day. -day. It also probably helped that uh, a couple of jobs ago I worked swings, so, you know, when you wake up at 10 a.m. and you don't go to work until 7 p.m., uh, you kind of have time to do stuff during the day, right? Um... I tried to go to a grocery store this afternoon on the Tuesday of Thanksgiving week. Oh my god. It just... And, and to top it off, could I go to Safeway or QFC? No, no. Or to the grocery store that's literally three blocks from my house, but it's a little expensive, so I didn't feel like going there. No, no, no. I had to try to go to Trader Joe's. And if you have a Trader Joe's in your neighborhood, you know the parking situation. It is literally like nationwide at any Trader Joe's. It must be like a rule or a federal law that the parking must be a nightmare outside of these stores. The one in West Seattle backs up onto like a four lane road. Um, I, I, and so like, A, just that, just trying to find a parking spot, which is a journey in and of itself. Um, but then going into a store which was crowded with children running around, people lingering and looking for the right thing, and reading labels carefully. Because you do need to read labels carefully when you're preparing Thanksgiving dinner. And I was in there for like six items for our day-to-day -day lives. Like bread, milk, I think I needed like pepper, and like three other, like bacon and lettuce or like something else like that. Grocery shop. Friday last week, or wait until Black Friday or Saturday. Don't go to the grocery store until then. Ask Michael anything time. Just like, in like, choose literally any other grocery store too than Trader Joe's if you're gonna do that. It's just an absolute, oh my God. At Brady 27 Brady, when you eat your Thanksgiving meal and what do you do 
before it to tide you over. Oh, when do you eat your Thanksgiving? We usually eat, I think it's like, why Thanksgiving does is dinner at four? Why do we eat at four on Thanksgiving? That's usually about when we eat 3.30 or 4 o'clock. Um, and inevitably there's appetizers out everywhere and I always eat way too many and then I eat way too much at dinner and I am just an incredible mass of, of fatness for days afterwards. And then I make more leftover sandwiches with that um, as well. Like I, I tried to have a smoothie last year for lunch. Didn't go well. At C Clean, Chris Clean, what is the coldest, worst weather you ever watched a WSU game? Um, wor so I, this is probably two answers. 2007 against Oregon State when it, it absolutely raining sideways, and then also probably the result. I think what Wazoo lost that game by like 35, and Brink threw like five or six picks, something like that. It was so bad. Um, coldest would be the 2014 Apple Cup. I think it was uh, two or three degrees at kickoff. That was extremely cold, very very chilly. Um. At Waitman K, KC for now, Thanksgiving dessert, traditional pumpkin pie or apple, a follow-up. Do you know of anyone who admits to liking mincemeat pie? Uh, my mom's husband, he's British, so yes, he does like it. Um, I usually stick with pumpkin. If it's a la mode, I go apple, though. That's the, that's the big difference. I usually I usually go with uh, with pumpkin, though, because I, I don't know why. Like, it's been a lot of Thanksgiving that you don't have a lot of a la mode there. Uh, at Cargo Rock Pile, Cargo, favorite West Seattle restaurants, asking selfishly as a West Seattle resident. Uh, Circa in the Admiral Junction is really delicious. The Westie on 35th, just south of, oh my gosh, can't remember the cross street, but anyway, it's on 35th. Um, and that's really delicious as well. Uh, La Rustica down on the water, it's not Il Nido, uh, which is the more popular Italian place. I like La Rustica um, a little bit better. And then in the junction, Maharaja Cuisine, the Indian place, very, very good. Um, we always like going there for dinner. God. Oh, God. Washington State, 28. Washington, 24. I'm running away. 